As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit everybody to this week's Psychic Co-op on Air with the Double D team. Dorita is here with me today. How are you Dorita? And a happy birthday to you. Ta-da! <laughs> happy birthday <laughs> my friend. Thank you. You're welcome. It was fun. I'm Thank glad you, you had fun. I saw the champagne photo. You didn't end up with a headache? <laughs> no, not this time. Not I, this time? I, I, I Oh, lovely. And champagne probably ages a bit better or a bit longer because, you know, what this isn't a wine show, but one thing that has to be watched out for for wine is 
the cheaper wines are often they have a thing called Valcorin added to them which is really toxic and that kills bugs in it which some people are allergic to it causes asthma in some people and the other thing is the word sulfides they add sulfides to the bottle to kill germs in the bottle but sulfides are also known to make people sick but more expensive wines don't have it they won't risk the altering of the flavor you see so i think uh, the sugar affected me on it last time too because i i, I never been like that <laughs> was it really the, sweet was it my the other one i had that oh. i got sick on it yeah it was it gave me giggle fits okay like i wouldn't stop laughing okay so you might have <laughs> had like what do you call it a, a sugar overload or something yeah, something. But okay. I went with sour this time. I had no problem. Even we call it dry, love. We call it dry. That's dry. Yeah, that's dry. Anyway, not I'm sour. Sour not wine not sounds not bad. I'm not a drinker. <laughs> yeah. So you have dry, medium, or sweet wine. Yeah. I know. I know. Like the straight, the spears, yeah. like yeah. rocky, like the whiskey. That's that's forty percent proof. Those yeah. My kind of things. Yeah, too kind. So the higher the alcohol and the lower the sugar, the happier she is. <laughs> That's wonderful. She can drink whiskey, folks. Right. So let's get on with the cards. So we've got Don Fraser is our unsolved mystery coming up after our tarot card of the day. But today we're talking about and explaining the star card. And Drita's going to kick us off with her explanation for this card. Okay, the star card. Right after the tarot, I actually like it. And the star is all about hope and purpose and renewal. So... The star card shows a naked woman kneeling at the edge of a small pond in this uh, in in Rider Waite. So she holds two containers of water, one left hand that is represented as subconscious, and then the other one on right hand that's the conscious. She pours water out of out, and it's like to nurture the earth to continue the cycle of fertility. I'm thinking and represents lush greenery around her. Those like all, everything is growing. And the other container pours the water onto the dry land. I read these like the five rituals representing five senses. And uh, what draws me is that the woman has one foot in the ground representing the practical abilities we have and the common sense pretty much. And the other foot is in water representing her intuition. And listening to her inner voice, she's naked. Her, her naked. Yeah, she represents us. She's vulnerable. She is um, like you know, stripped all out of her whatever she was holding her back. So her her essence. The stars are representing the chakras in all around her. So that is kind of the symbols, or how do I should I say that uh, the star card has in this kind of deck. So. I find that interesting. Where did you get that interpretation from? Because Rider Waite doesn't mention any of that stuff in his deck. But also, um, he states clearly that the eight star, the eight ray star, uh, is called the L'Etoile Flamboyant, which is an actual star, the name of one. And it's a, um, it's, it's used as a symbol, a Masonic symbol. So it's quite oh, really? an interesting thing, yeah, that he's drawn on there that it's a Masonic symbol. He didn't create this card. So I think I want to remind everybody that listens to these meanings is it, he's interpreting the cards based on earlier depictions of them. While he's added certain elements, some of those elements were already there. Levi, as I've mentioned before, Elifus Levi. We're going to go through Elifus Levi's Major <laughs> Arcana at some point because it predates all of this, but he did the original artwork as well. 
Um, okay. Less attractive, of course, because he just drew it himself and his skills weren't wonderful, but clear enough. And you will see, if you look at his works, you'll see the similarities. In fact, I'm going to be doing that when we do the next uh, series on Elifus Levi's Major Arcana. I'll show you the pictures side by side. And we can't forget, so I'll say this again, Arthur Waite translated Elifus Levi's book, which was about the Major Arcana called Transcendental Magic, which had all of the images for the Major Arcana already in there. The numbers as well, 0 to 21. And he transposed the Strength card and the Death card, the numbers of those cards, for the simple reason to say, are you ready? There is no numerological significance. You'd have to count from one to something. And so there is no significance there. But interesting, the, the, the eighth raid star has a lot of controversy. So again, when we get into symbolism and stuff, you can start developing that. But if you're going to use the Rider Waite deck, um, he doesn't explain this card very well at all, actually. So that's no. what I think I told you about. He, he, yeah. he, he doesn't explain it well at all. He doesn't explain any of the cards because he says, quote-unquote, the only important factor with the cards is the pictures. So he's got the the um, the L'Etoile Flamboyant, which I've said really badly, but anyway, the Flamboyant Star. And he's also got the eight rays. They're all eight rays, not seven. And then he's got the seven lesser stars are uh, eight rays. He didn't get into chakras and stuff, so I'll be very clear about okay. that. But the seven... Oh. The, the seven, this is important though, the seven lesser stars are always referring to Pleiades, by the way. So okay, the seven sorry. sisters. Okay. Yeah. So it's quite an interesting thing. And watching people's, this is why I, I advise against <laughs> getting caught up in people's meanings. Firstly, if you're going to use Rider Waite's deck and use that symbology, at least have a look at what's going on there. Now, it is true that Elifus Levi was both a member of the Masonics. He was also okay. an ordained minister or trained to be an ordained minister. He was also a member of the... Um, golden dawn in the early days before it broke down so Arthur Waite was sort of traveling in his footsteps to a certain extent but Elifus Levi would probably have been the most famous occultist of his day he wrote I don't know 30 or 40 books all on occultism and symbolism and what means what does this mean what has this got to do with anything sort of a thing and he didn't put a card meaning per se except by the name so he'd named them already by the way, the star, the tower. So they weren't named by Arthur Waite. So this is where that the card has no meaning but its picture. If you don't understand the picture, you can't really read the card terribly well. He mentions that there's a bird in it, but he doesn't mention why. Yeah, I, I see the bird <laughs> right over behind her. Yeah, and and of but course, the, the, go on. Yeah, I, mean, I was going to say that the bigger star just was, was uh, represented the essence of her being, almost like the spirit going through her, but. <laughs> I'm not sure why the chakras would come on. Well, that's there. that's somebody staring. else interpreting, and that's the problem that I'm talking about. So they, they, they pop these interpretations in there. So it's just like in his decks, he has no interest in the zodiac at all. But in other people that have made copyist decks, they often put the zodiac signs in there, or other tarot cards have them. But in this deck, neither of these guys ascribe to astrology <laughs> at all. They right. thought it was just junk and rubbish. They thought that what they were doing, and in particular, Elifus Levi definitely thought this. He thought it, of it as psychology. And Arthur Waite talks about the tarot deck in that psychological frame. 
So what you've got here, if, if, for me, as I said, is that if, if something speaks to you in a card, then read it as it speaks to you, rather than worrying about somebody's meaning, especially if you go out and find erroneous meanings that have got nothing to do with the original card. Now, here's the interesting thing about the, um, the, the, the flamboyant star, is it comes back, or it dates back to Greek times, and there was a myth about it, uh, and about the star and its place, and it actually had 16 points, not 8. So it's quite okay. quite an interesting thing. So they've dropped a few for this purpose. The seven lesser stars, if you if you go hunting that out, the seven lesser stars have always been called, um, that they're always representing Pleiades. Okay? okay, so the seven stars there. Now he's gone, they've also got 8 points, but in actual fact it's irrelevant because stars don't actually have points. So when we look at that, the the interesting thing for both of those is that the um, Pleiades, right back to 600 BC, was used as a navigational tool on land and on sea. It was a way to find your way around. There were, at one point, there was a guy that recorded 11 stars in Pleiades. We can only see six today without a telescope. With a telescope, you can see nine, I believe, and then there was a person who recorded that they, they counted 11 in the Pleiades system. Um, so quite a fascinating thing, the Subaru, the, the, and there's where you see it from on the planet, I guess, uh, matters as well, where you see it you know, from in the world, how it looks to you, what you can see or what you can't see. So carry on, sorry. That's okay. I was just kind of going through that. It was the chakras that got me because it was like that was never the, never a thing. So it, apparently it's not. Lots of people think that's what they mean. <laughs> well, no, lots of oh, people. So, so that's the problem exactly. You get a person who says this is what yeah. this means in a book, but at the same time it doesn't add up and it doesn't make sense, right? So for a start, we know there's there's more than seven chakras, so it doesn't add up. We know that um, Arthur Waite and the Life is Levi had nothing to do with that. Not interested. No, they didn't. No, no, thank you. And we also know that the seven um, seven sisters or the seven stars are Pleiades. He would have known that. Um, and also that the, the, the main star there, uh, the flamboyant star, he calls it that in his pictorial guide. So how can anybody call it something else? Which is a Masonic symbol that was used for other things. But when you look at the, the card itself, and you think about it, I was asked one day what the bird meant. And I said, well, there isn't any kind of description of what that bird might mean. But for me, a bird is going to mean uh, whispering of spirit, if you like. Something that whispers into yeah. your mind. A little bird told me. I got this idea. All of that kind of thing. And so I'm happy to interpret that that way. And when that person saw my interpretation of that, they were like, oh, that's amazing. I said, it's in the tree and a tree as humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It represents knowledge. It represents health. It represents living through ages. You know, trees could be a thousand yes. years old and... The people come and go, right, in that period of time, but the tree is still there. So we've got a lot of things, and that's why I called mine inspiration, actually, mainly because of the bird. <laughs> and yeah, even, yeah, yeah, we, I see why. Even the figure, and, and instead of having the bird, I said, I put the word inspiration there. Um, he talks about, doesn't he, uh, the, water, the, the earth and the water being about creation, right? Yes, because you need one with the other. You can't have one without the other to kind of have anything, really. Yeah. So you've got that side of it. And then the figure, in actual fact, is a Greek figure. He doesn't really say much about it. He he tends to talk about, oh, you know, some people think it's this and some people think it's that, rather than actually saying what it is. Because Elifus Levi had a very classical training in understanding, he would have known the Greek myths. And I see artwork, I see myths coming into all of these cards. So there's a conglomeration of things that only learned people knew back then. You know, and, and, and Elifus Levi was 50 years ahead of Arthur Waite, right? He was in his final years when Arthur Waite was charging forward as a, as a middle-aged man, young to middle-aged man. And so when you start looking at that, and then you've got a classically trained French guy, by the way. So the, the L'Etoile Flamboyant is an actual fact of French description of this star. But I laugh at some of Arthur Waite's descriptions. He goes, uh, what was it about the people describing this card as hope I've always looked at people that said the star is hope is like why where do you get that from you know a star navigates you you look to the stars to see where you're going to go isn't that right and yeah, that was even yeah, yeah because they're the night sky it's like that's under the you know sky night it directs you it shows you the way and so um I think it's really important now I, I I think what does he say about it I'm pretty sure he said tawdry or boring or something like that in his description of people calling it the card of hope and i see it read as a card of hope all the time and i think that's just yeah and i think it's really sad it's just like with the sun card they say oh that's that's good things happening it's positivity it's like no no it's not so so the elements in the card show differently i've actually put an angel on my card oops Mm -hmm. yeah so I put an angel on my card because the the, the, the nude figure is actually, um, I'm not sure if it's Herod, not Herodotus, a woman um, in mythology. And of course, there's the interesting part because Pleiades in Greek mythology are the seven daughters of two gods. And I can't quite remember the myth at the moment, but this to me seems to make sense for the fact that this person with her her foot in the water pouring the water um with her foot on the land which causes that um creativity it it suggests to me that that's where the original idea would have come from 
Levi tells you they're not his ideas, he's transcribed them from somebody else's earlier drawings and interpretations. So it's quite an interesting thing when you start looking at it. He was born in the 1700s, died in the 1800s. Arthur Waite was born in the 1800s and died in the early 1900s, you know. So all through that, Mademoiselle Lenormand was doing her buzz. <laughs> yeah, before they even were doing anything. So it's quite an interesting thing. So I've called it inspiration and I've, I've created a ripple on my pond. And the reason for the ripple is when you get creative, yeah, yeah. when you get creative, when you get inspired, then the ideas start with you and they go out from you and they need to be fed, there's your earth. Uh, they need to flow, there's your water. They need each other, as you said already, to, to go. And then, of course, I've created a kind of patterned volcano, if you like. You know, if something just takes off, it becomes multicolored, multifaceted. It takes more people, it involves more people. But inspiration starts in a singular point, in a singular moment. And it's usually within your mind, within your heart, or a combination of both. So that's why I've called the card inspiration. So yeah, yeah. quite quite a fascinating card, really, because I think it's probably... I don't know. I, I suppose if, I, if I'm always talking about something... So even my stars have got lots of patterns and colours on them. And when I, when I think about the tarot, I honestly think half the time it's so dumbed down by the meanings people give it that it no longer has the meaning that it's meant to have, which is of the picture. The original tarot, you mean? No. Well, well, which is the picture. So the picture's the same. If the picture's the same, then the meaning doesn't change. If you create a tarot deck and you want chakras on it, put chakras on it. That's okay. I'm not saying it isn't. So, but taking something that has a meaning and denying the meaning doesn't make sense to me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But it's, lots of these other tarot, lots of these tarot decks and these cards, and I have lots of them, have different meanings from different cards. So it's interesting. Well, if they've got different imagery, then that's fine. Because I've got the Voyager tarot and all the imagery is completely different. So the meaning should reflect the imagery on the card. That's the bit right there. And if they don't reflect the imagery on the card, then it's nothing. It has no purpose at all. All you're going to do is recite the meanings because you can't take a cue from the image because you don't understand the image. Do you follow? Yeah. I don't mean you personally, anybody learning I know, tarot. I know. Yeah. Uh, so so, so if somebody's <laughs> using Rider Tarot, Rider Waite Tarot deck, they should be using the Rider's interpretation, Arthur Waite's, or at least Delifus Levi's, which is the origin of the images we use today, at least those images and their understanding of what it is that they're on the card for, at least. Then you can go to generalized impressions if you like, right? The reason I've put yeah. an angel on there is nobody can prove angels exist or don't exist. There's no genuine myth attached to an angel, but we feel inspired by the thought of angels, don't we? We feel like there's something greater, there's something better, there's something bigger. And it's a wonderful feeling to have an interaction with somebody you think is an angel or believe is an angel. So that's inspirational. You feel buzzed out. You know, you feel like there's something more going on in you, actually, not just that experience. It's, it's not like you talk to somebody, they speak to you, and off they wander, and you wander, and your minds and everything's separate. It's like something in you feels better, feels bigger, feels more amazing. So that's why I put the angel in there and that beautiful bright sky with lots of stuff. <laughs> that, that's the artist in me and it's like all these colors and lots of stuffs and shapes and you know yeah, you're not going to miss the interpretation of that but it's interesting how people actually can take the stars just because of the five seven stars the number of them 
Well, it's it, it and then it's wrong as well because I see chakras and I know there's 12. So it, no matter which way you look, it's wrong. It's somebody else who's got something wrong from the start. And why did they get it wrong? Because they got it out of a book. They didn't learn to see it themselves. Do you know what I mean? So they read a book that says there's seven and they sit with that. And that's their knowledge. They don't update it forever and ever and ever and ever. So as soon as they see seven on something, in their mind, it's seven chakras. Well, how's that helpful in the card called the star? So in, in the book, he actually says the seven lesser stars. Those are the words he uses. Yes, <laughs> it's pretty hard to go past that. And he yeah. names the big star. And I didn't use a seven, uh, an eight-pointed star because his interpretation of the um, A12 flamboyant or the flamboyant star is different to the original Greek interpretation, which is where it was found. It was found on boxes. Um, and it was and it was 16 not 8 so there was 8 outside and 8 smaller ones inside it's sort of like you know when we draw stars and we do the big lines and then we put little lines inside yeah 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 yeah. that's what it looks like and so he's just gone for the broader side of it or I should say a life is Levi <laughs> went for the broader side of it because his card looks pretty much the same so it's that interesting or his drawing looks pretty much the same so it's that interesting understanding again of if you're going to want to read a tarot deck and you want to read tarot cards they don't have to have these words on them they don't even have to have these meanings on them but you need to be able to look at the picture and gather something from that picture and understand what that means now if you don't understand what this means in this picture it can mean whatever you want it to mean but then just making something up doesn't cut it not really otherwise you could never read this star if, you, if you're looking at the star card and you're reading it as chakras it makes no sense really at all but if you're reading them as stars that guide your way, guide your thoughts, anything like that, a higher inspired thought range, uh, creativity, then you're starting to look at something that makes a bit of sense. What do we wish upon? We wish upon a star, not a chakra. That's right. <laughs> I'm going to wish upon your heart. chakra. <laughs> yes, wish into my soul. Uh, wish into her solar plexus chakra. <laughs> That's pretty funny. So, have you got more that you want to say about the star? I'm sorry, I cut you off through that because no, I was, I was, I was distressed by that chakra. As soon as it came out, I was like, "Oh my god, where'd that come from?" And so, so, so it's one an of the interpretations. One of the books I read a while ago, it's in there. But anyways, uh, something. Not, not for this card though. For the star. Not for the star. No. So in, in the in the in the star interpretations there that the rider waits interpretations down the side of them. And so okay. with yeah, so with that, there's like when you look at a at a main uh, interpretation of a card, so that's that's my main bother even with that book, the my learned tarot book, is there's a point in there you have to sort of give an example of what it could mean to somebody. Oh, okay. And those are the bits that I don't like and I never did like them. You know, basically even at the beginning of that book I said basically learn what the pictures mean. Because that wasn't yeah, yeah. that book wasn't written for the right away tarot deck, right? That book was written okay. for tarot in general. And so there's the cards and it can have all of these possibilities. So if somebody did completely different imagery, which I did, even if I yeah, yeah, used yeah. Then the, you have a different interpretation of it. You can have course, a different yeah. interpretation of it. And if I even if I'd put the star on the card, uh, you could still have a different interpretation of it, right? The reason I went to inspiration is that's to me what the base meaning, the foundation or the keystone of that card is, is the word inspiration. It could have been creativity and it still would have been in the right sort of zone. Yeah. 
Um, but creativity, we tend to think of something we're doing. Inspiration is before that, isn't it? We get inspired first, and then we create. So that's sort of where I went there. That's like the spirit of a person, which is, again, why the angel's in there. So it's one of those fascinating things. If you look at the mythic tarot, and you look at the star card, right, then you'll see the interpretation matches the card, which is exactly what I'm talking about. I have no issues with that at all. So if they take, though, and say, this is the Rider Waite card, the star, and this is what it means, then I've got a problem straight away if they don't get that correct. Um, when you look in the Learn Tarot book and you go to the back, you'll see all of the Rider Waite cards, and each one has the symbols, which is the Rider Waite, has, what, what Arthur Waite has put down as the symbols for the card. And then I've got other symbols which are could be for any tarot deck. Okay? Because there's, there are decks out there, a lot of them, that are quite different in their imagery. So it's that determined to understand what a general idea would be from a picture, and you're going to win every single time. Now we're going to talk about our unsolved mysteries. The brutal murder. The brutal okay. murder. <laughs> The brutal murder of Don Fraser. Do you want to kick yes. us off with that? I can. So, the brutal murder of pastures published by Don. What is it? Publican. publican. Don... He, he, yeah. he ran a pub. That's what a publican oh, okay. is. Yeah. So, it's by publican. Yeah. Right. Is in 1933 has remained unsolved for at least 94 years. Eric Stevens spent at least a year investigating the case, Don Fraser's, the license of. What is Ricotta Riasource's hotel? <laughs> Ricketon is the name of a place. Ricketon's Racecourse Hotel is the name of the hotel. And that's the hotel in the photo. It's the same hotel. And the photo in the group. That's a pretty nice hotel, yeah. Yeah. Was murdered in his bed in early hours of November 17, 1933. He was uh, a br brutal... Can you just take it over? <laughs> sure, I'm not sure why you're reading it, though. So it was a brutal killing, and it was sort of like a, an execution because uh, both charges from a double-barreled shotgun were fired into Fraser's chest at close range while he was in bed. Um, so this is the crime. This is what actually happened. Neither the killer nor the sh shotgun were ever found, and the motive for the crime was never really known to the general public at the time. His character is hotly disputed to this day, and I, I've got to say there's, there's things as humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And they're like, if you're going back to 1933, that was the Great Depression era. It was tough times. When you ran a pub, you had to run it with an iron fist. And there were different rules, different regs around. Like the, usually guys that ran pubs also drank with their patrons, you know. Um, but... They had to maintain a certain standard as well. Um, the fact that neither the killer or the gun was ever found is, is a bit of an, an issue, but also his character came into question when it probably shouldn't have. He was murdered, and no, there's no dispute about that. He was a tough man, but he also lived in a time when men drank till they fell over <coughs> or got kicked out of the pub. So you could easily have little, you know... What, off somebody. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you'd have little arguments or maybe even a fight but um he really had a good name for for maintaining um, order in his pub he was very strict and he wasn't really gentle about removing people but you know when i read the police transcripts on there some people were very critical of that which we'll talk about in the suspects part of this but at the same time you had to be when you've got a guy with a belly full of booze and he's belligerent and you're trying to get rid of him you can't just say look mate you know you start with look mate Or if you know him well, which you possibly do, you're going to grab him by the scruff of his collar and you're going to walk him out the door. They still do it to this day. Any bar right. with its salt has a bouncer, right? That's what they're there for. So the publican's not so much doing it now. The guy who owns the pub, it's usually somebody who's paid security, right? Or bouncer, we call him. Um, he, it's been suggested that he would pick fights with his customers, but I'm like, meh. After he's died, people that are still peeved with him, people that have been banned from the bar may have things not so nice to say and yet he may have he may have on occasion got drunk and had arguments with some of his customers who were also his friends who knows um but yeah because yeah. it kind of gets into depends if both people are kind of drunk right well that's the part of it but there, the, the police he never had any problems so there's a question and he'd run pubs for a long time so he could possibly have been abusive or violent but did this have anything to do with his death And if it was only around drunks in his bar and maintaining discipline, then, you know, who knows. And he was born in Charters Towers, which I've been through in Queensland, Australia in 1892. Trust me, that's a nowheresville. So, you know, there would have been a dog-eat-dog kind of ruling in any bars in outback Australia. Back in the day, there still is to a certain extent. They can be really rough places. His family moved to New Zealand when he was 17, where he trained as and worked in a drapery for 14 years. So he oh, was wow. working in a, you know, a fabric industry, um, yeah. and he became the manager in Hokitika, which is in our South Island, until 1925 at the age of 33. So it tells you that he was a diligent worker, right, and that he could organise. And, and he, could, yeah, he could do all of those things. Um, the countdown has begun here. This is the countdown to his death. da 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 dum wonder <laughs> um, it's now from this minute it's eight years remaining of his life and in two years from that moment at age 33 he would take over the license of a wash dyke hotel and two years after that he'll move to Rickerton 
and that's where things start to move to this point you know this this is that spiritual aspect right of how many different things are in play over time to end up in this one moment yeah where somebody could kill him and and I'm really always interested in that there's how many decisions were made that took him to this particular space this particular time that only at that time could this have happened to him do you know what I mean only with these people around him only in that environment so by the time uh, their first child was born um, was three years old sorry he will have entered an industry that was literally a cashed up and successful enterprise during any economic period and of course it was the depression in New Zealand uh, it was burgeoning with a new type of person largely they were migrant freed from the ties that bound them at home wherever they came from and in New Zealand the South Island was the epicenter for gold hunters so it attracted a lot of that kind of person they would go down uh, to the South Island of New Zealand uh, panhandling for gold in the rivers and of course looking for money which we all know in all parts of the world didn't necessarily work out for a lot of people right um, and there was a lot less development in the South Island and so it was largely a male population Auckland and New Zealand and Wellington were uh, in the North Island sorry were much more developed and much more like the cities were cities there was no um, this just didn't exist here really there were more farmers there were more tradesmen it was that kind of a, a difference down there you had like the American <laughs> the Yukon you have all these people living in tents you know thousands of them yeah, yeah. Exactly, for many years. And living rough, you know. So they're losing yeah. their manners if they had them to start with. There were all sorts of itinerant types that would come in to make a quick or, or, or fast buck. Some would make a buck and leave and some wouldn't and they'd leave or some would just stay because they had no money to go anywhere else. It was a sort of a place where the wanderers of a society who lived hard lives and were hard people drinking to excess, gambling in a way that can only remind you of the American Westerns, really, of the 1870s. And it was very much like that. Um, as the wheels turned in the last days of his life, the characters around him are brought under the spotlight of the townsfolk who relayed their information and knowledge to the constabulary of the day. This was, to this day, one of the most intensive police efforts ever conducted in New Zealand so when you start looking at it that way you're going okay you've got a small country you've got a small population how did this person get away so let's look at the suspects shall we yes yes oh Drita's clapping her hands maybe his wife maybe his wife do we want to talk about his wife yes why not okay so his wife's name was Elizabeth and she was described as medium height fair sallow complexion in the day and frail with a full set of teeth. (laughs) The fact that the police mention a full set of teeth means it maybe wasn't that common, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Interesting. Yeah, and they'd say they may have even been false. Now, this is to be noted. He would have been a fairly well-to-do guy, Don Fraser. Yes. She smoked and she drank heavily. She dressed well, but she stuck to her story, and her story was that she was asleep beside her husband and was woken by a shotgun blast but did not see a killer. Okay. How? Did not see a killer. And back then, queen size beds weren't a thing either. You know, it would have been a standard double size bed that yeah, they were sleeping so she in. Yeah, she knew who it was, but you know. And when you look at the photo, right, of the hotel in our group, yeah. Psychic Co-op on Air, if you're uh, Psychic Cooperative, if you're listening here, you want to go and have a look at these photos. You can join the group and have a look. The um, hotel, you can see, there's the two front wings, and then there's a veranda between them. The room that he was killed in is on the left side upstairs. So somebody had to get in there and out of there. 
There are double doors like my house here that open out onto the veranda, but there's no way up from the front, okay? Or down, right. actually. So it's a reasonable height. How does the wife not see that? Or does not joke or does not see something or give a description or... That's right. And she says she woke up with the sound of the blast, which means that person would have to still be there, right? Yes. Because you have to hold a gun after the blast, you know, like the speed of light and all that. He was inside. Yes. So that's what they say, that the, the gun was held to Don's chest. That means he was and inside. And she was next to him yeah. and did not see it. You did not see the person, yeah. Right. Right, she says. Now, the other suspect we've got is his daughter, Joyce Fraser. At, she was 16 and considered herself to be a modern young woman, and she was pursuing her own idea of freedom through her friendships with young jockeys, or, or she was a bit of a loose Whoa. girl, Whoa. and yes. stable lads. Now, they had access, almost auto, autonomous access. There were only two hotels. Could have been the daughter and her mother is covering up? It's a possibility. That yes. or both of them could be covering up. Or Who knows? Yes, uh, we, they're covering up somebody. Which is a question, isn't it? It's sort of like who's going to benefit? We're still there, aren't we? Who benefits from him dying? But those are the two ones who benefit primarily. There are other lesser characters that were around. There was a guy called Sidney Higgs, and he was a stud master. He was the hotel's only long-term resident. He lived there long-term. Um, and there was Ted Russell. He was a freezing worker and a friend of Don Fraser's. He drank heavily and, although described as a simple man, had an illegal sideline as a bookmaker. So gambling in New Zealand was completely illegal back in the day. And we've never really had a fancy for bookmakers. Even to this day, it's illegal. <coughs> Some countries you can have both, but not here. Um, you know, TAB and bookmaker. So he took bets at the pub. So we're talking, that's money coming into the pub. I have no doubts he would have been paying Don Fraser for that privilege or Don Fraser would have been getting a cut or he would have been directly working for Don Fraser because gambling wasn't a thing. And Rickerton, so now we're looking at this area and we're looking at it's called the Racecourse Hotel. There was a big flash Rickerton Racecourse right next to it. So people couldn't bet at the racecourses. They could only bet somewhere illegal. Yeah. Uh, among a raft of, a lot of uh, it's a lot of mix of oh my gosh no wonder that it's confusing there's a lot that. of yeah a lot of people yeah, yeah, and yeah. then you've got that possibility of somebody having lost big right yes and then coming after him it's always a possibility um most pubs did have a good bookmaker or have a bookmaker and you can still find them today i had a friend we called him stevie wonder he was a magic man with numbers he worked at the um, distillery when i was there <laughs> and he'd go wow. to a pub in newmarket and he would sell i can tell you because he's dead now and he would he would sell odds where guys would just come in they would go up to him he'd write their bets in the book he'd take their money and then if they won they'd come and get their winnings and even though there were other ways to do it, there were still old codgers, old guys that would still do it that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they And his odds sometimes would be better, so playing over under the odds to the TAB. So the thing is that, you know, it, it was a thing. These guys would sit in a corner of a bar and they would be there on race day a couple of hours beforehand or from the morning and they would just have their little notebook and a, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a pen and take their bets. They would have a lot of money. So I have no doubt that somebody had to be standing somebody around. Somebody got pissed off here. Well, I also <laughs> think somebody would have had to have been a bodyguard for him because he would have had thousands of dollars at a time when yes. people were starving in the South Island of New Zealand okay. because we were in a depression. So that would be to attack the bookmaker, but 
there are a lot of accounts of Fraser's inquest in 1935 for, sorry, which provide us with a remarkable view of hotel life and uh, a group within New Zealand society in the 30s. It's the view into a world which otherwise might have actually got a bit lost to history. So him getting murdered and the cops keeping such a great record of everything that went on and all of the players and what they were doing gave us a glimpse into something we might not have been privy no to. Uh, it's, it's quite an interesting thing because it had a lot of secrets, infidelities and extravagances, a lot of what we call fast living now, you know, because yep. they had so much money, but it was all cash. So, you know, bye bye to the tax man. There'd have been a lot of double dealing, there would have been a lot of thefts, right? It's like it's it's like pretty roughneck. Lots uh, of criminality on there. Lots of it. The files also show us that at the height of the Great Depression, there was plenty of money to be spent and made at the Rose Course Hotel. Gold sovereigns and large sums of cash were even hidden in cupboards and wardrobes. So it was all cash money as opposed yeah, you know. Yeah. We, we didn't have checks. Nothing traceable. Nothing traceable. And again, I think the tax man would have been an enemy as well. So hiding money from the government would have been part of the game. Um, he, Don had a few enemies over time, though again, it is to be said that publicans get, into deal with, get to deal with the worst of the worst in their worst yeah. frame of mind, usually like the word drunk, on a daily basis. Pubs in New Zealand closed early, so everything was drink fast get as drunk as you can and there were only men really in the bars and maybe a few loose women it was not a common thing for women to go to bars so these were not cozy little corner pubs that they had in England or um, these were full-on swill centers where people were just swilling booze and getting drunk as fast as they can a hotbed of gamblers I mean can you imagine the amount of money passing through this place and yeah again hard men um, one yeah. of the disgruntled persons that spoke to the police was a horse trainer and he was thumped by Don and that's how the police record wrote it that Don Fraser thumped him <laughs> and that's because he caught him urinating on the wall of the hotel and I could just see you yes thump him too. <laughs> <laughs> Jada would thump him alright as humans we're naturally driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed when i was looking to hire someone it was so slow and overwhelming i wish i had used indeed if you need to hire you need indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Him good. He never went back to that pub, which means, as in most of New Zealand, there is a pub or a hotel at the other end of the main drag <laughs> around the corner. And there was the other hotel, and the other pub was called the Rickerton Hotel. This was the Racecourse Hotel. Um, there would have been a few around. Anyway, the, the weekend, sorry, when he did that, it said that he didn't go back, which suggested that he didn't want to go back, or he was told, don't come back, you know, take your pick. Um, 
another farmer, these are our suspects, another farmer said he bore no malice towards Fraser even though the publican had struck him at an after-hours drinking session at the Racecourse Hotel the weekend before the murder. So he'd given him a thump as well. <laughs> and after, cause it, so it was illegal for pubs to be open past 7pm. Okay. Right. So these guys would have shut all the curtains. They still do that to pubs that have closing times or days and all that are open. Yeah, yeah, yeah shut all the curtains, they'd go to a back bar and they'd keep on drinking after a massive dose earlier in the afternoon. I can imagine if you'd won a bit of money, right? If you'd won a bit of money that you'd be jolly and spending all that money. They didn't have the pubs or the bars or the restaurants at the race course back then. Or anywhere. Or anywhere, exactly. So, and then of course we've got a labourer who fell foul of Fraser when he tied his horse to the hotel fence. Police noted that Fraser gave him a hiding. Gave him a hiding for it, and they also noted that there were no reports on the hiding. In other words, he didn't report it to the police, he didn't make a complaint. Um, but I could see why he want, wouldn't want a horse tied to his hotel fence either. If it bucked, kicked, or if anybody was cruel to the horse because yeah, yeah. they were drunk, it would wreck his fence, right? <laughs> he gave him a hiding. So we've got him thumping people, <laughs> we got him giving people He's hidings. A tough boy, I like him. <laughs> He's a tough a man. Well, he was looking after his property as well, right? Because it was his property, he owned it. Uh, in 19, Or he leased it, I'm not sure. It, it, in, 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 1931, no, sorry, in October 1931, Fraser refused to give a reference to a... Depa- These are all our suspects, there's a few. He refused to give a reference to a departing employee. Her husband decided to intervene, and this led to a fight. It was reported to the police, but no action was taken. So he had a fight with the woman's husband because he basically sacked her. <laughs> so, that, but but there's a guy that's obviously gone to the pub to have it out with him, right? So you've got this side yeah. of it as well. And if he waited till Don was already drunk, it probably wasn't a great idea. Ricketon is a racing. Yeah, and and of course, Ricketon to this day, Ricketon Racecourse is one of our biggest, most prolific racecourses. And so back then, it was a racing town just outside of Christchurch. Horses were the name of the game, and in the 30s, this industry was fraught with all manner of gangsters, players, gamblers, and bookies. I just love saying all of that stuff was here in New Zealand. We are not backward. We have as much bad stuff as everybody else. <laughs> it was an arena of big wins and big losses. The Racecourse Hotel stands right beside the racetrack, inviting to those who have filled their pockets and providing boozy solace to those who chose, lost a chunk of their week's pay. I'm actually quite proud of my writing now I'm reading it. <laughs> I like it. Me too. I was just like, oh. I just couldn't pronounce those long words because I just... That's I okay. Was... And they were just place names, really, in New Zealand slang, some of it, I guess. But that's all right. Um, he was a character. He was volatile, but he was also a community man. Uh, William yes. George Thomas, alias George William Thomas. Let's work that out. <laughs> New Zealand names, English. In England, so they call it an alias, but in England, what they would do is they would name a a boy, the first name would be named for an ancestor or for the the crown, for the king or whatever. The middle name would be the name that they wanted to give them. Okay, so William George Thomas was probably his given name. And when they say alias George William Thomas, it probably meant he went by George. (laughs) All of my uncles went by their middle names, so I know that one. Um, he also had an alias, Matthews. He was arrested at the Racecourse Hotel by police with Fraser's assistance. He helped the police get this guy in 1930, and he was charged with multiple false pretenses all over New Zealand, and he threatened to kill the publican. He threatened to kill our Dom. Yes. 
So that's Why another suspect. So we've got a few. We've got about seven suspects, including his wife and his child, right? All of these disgruntled folks were interviewed, but all of them were shown to be uh, shown not to be the murderer. The latter being incarcerated at the time. This guy here, uh, in the opinion of Detective Sergeant Bruce Young, the out-of-town detective who took over the case from his Christchurch colleagues in 1933, Fraser was quote not a man well liked by frequenters of the hotel as he was considered to be mean and was very aggressive towards men under the influence of drink so you're saying if you got drunk and you misbehaved he gave you a he gave you a quick burst right so that's how that sounds to me because i was a barmaid <laughs> and yeah, yeah. i'd seen managers having to deal with drunk people and the drunk people always blame the manager right they always go it's your yeah. fault or you're the mean one or you're horrible so i'm like mm. Um, and back then he would have been his own bouncer. He, the policeman went on to say he was a big man and could use his fist and frequently picked quarrels with his customers over trifles, quote unquote. And as soon as an argument started, he would strike them and throw them out of the hotel. So now you have the measure of the man. Yeah, isn't that nice? Could you imagine him at, at the Waverley Inn? Oh my God, Calvin David to throw people out <laughs> <that>, or me when <laughs> or me when I was in charge of that. I, yeah. I know I couldn't. Well, you know, he had the physical size to do it. So essentially, he's his own bouncer. He's the owner and the bouncer. He's the guy looking after the lot, right? That's right. And to that, he's got a daughter living upstairs, right? He's got family yeah, yeah. that live there. You're not living somewhere else. It's not just, I go to work here and then I leave it. So there's quite a bit that, that would have it's been... It's his homestead. It's his pride. It's his everything right there. So. Right. And so the next thing, of course, is we've got the layers to the story. Do you want to have another go, or are you good to comment? Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to say, when all of the, I'm just like, almost like I'm trying to intuit what would happen, but what actually coming to my, where I'm stuck in, and what the, it's, it's a table, the gambling table, somebody from there, I think, I'm just, I don't know why I keep seeing that table, that keeps popping. But There's anyway, a little so. twist to the end around that money, by the way. Okay. So when okay. we get to that twist. So the next thing is these layers. There's a, there's a subplot here in Fraser's life and his violent death. Um, and it concerns the fact, there's two actually. He had a racehorse called Silver Ring and it was a gelding. He was the best two year old in New Zealand in 1932. Now bearing in mind Don Fraser was murdered in 1933, okay? Oh, a year later. Inexplicably, this horse fell out of form for the last year of Fraser's life. And he just started losing for no apparent reason. <clears throat> the tabloid paper, The Truth, which was still running up until a few years ago, called it one of the most mysterious murders in the history of New Zealand crime, where the hotel's occupants and guests at a drinking party, which went on late into the evening of November the 16th, 1933, finishing a couple of hours before Fraser's death. So two hours after the party finished, Fraser was killed. Okay. Killed. All those people were there that we mentioned as our suspects, except for the one that was in jail. There was Donald Fraser, drunk, ill at ease on the, on the last night of his life, and his wife Elizabeth, whose life as a racing uh, publican's wife, provided her with the things she mostly wanted, actually. She would have had plenty of money, she had plenty of drink, she liked to drink, she liked fast living, uh, she smoked cigarettes, which was a little unusual for women in the day. <laughs> The drinks, oh, yeah. The drink. Well, <laughs> oh, she God. was, she was, she was a pub girl. So you know, the drinks party was, of course, in the breach of the law because New Zealand pubs, of course. Oh, sorry, I said seven. It was six o'clock in 1933. 
Fraser had been serving drinks after hours for years, but everybody did. So, you know, I, the, the police and uh, reports, this is where these come from, were a little disparaging about this sort of stuff, but I really think that's because they probably knew and did nothing and wanted to look mm-hmm. clean, you know? They didn't want to look yeah. like... They probably went and drank there, you know, at a guess. That's so, what I was thinking, because I... It takes a lot of people with a lot of money to go gamble at that time, you understand? Yeah. You just shut it down to public and if that is the only place you can go, that's where it is that's going. Right. So you have your judges, your cops, exactly. everyone, your doctors. There are people with money, you know, people with no money don't go to a bar and to establish something bad, I'm thinking. I'm thinking you're absolutely right. I'm pretty sure the local uh, cops would have been in on that in the back bar. Uh, on that fatal night of November 16th, we can see guests arriving and leaving by tram and bicycle. They can see partygoers drinking spirits. These are by reports of people that were looking at the, the, the bar itself, uh, that people were coming and going. In other words, everybody in the area knew that there would have been partying going on in, in the pub yeah. itself. Uh, they were drinking uh, spirits and a thing called Portagaff. Well, you're going to have to try this, actually. Who's that? <laughs> well, actually, <laughs> Portagaff. I don't know if we do want to try it. It's a mixture of stout and lemonade. So I don't know if it would be nice or not. They can note the hotel clock running 20 minutes fast. The stud master, Higgs, more sober than most, had not yet joined the party but had been writing letters in the kitchen before heading to his bed and settling down after hearing the 3YA radio announcer say goodnight. In other words, it was midnight when he went. Joyce Fraser, coming in from talking to two young lads outside, tartly tells an older woman, these are reports, these are witness accounts, tartly tells an older woman who gave the account, who admonishes her to realise that times have moved on and young people do not behave as their elders did. So clearly the older woman was telling her off for being a tart. (laughs) As we move in towards 11... Uh, the three YA, sorry, must have been 10 p.m. because then we've got moving towards 11 p.m. The carousers finish with a bottle of champagne, which can only mean a winner was in the bar, right? Uh, Jack Wilson, the hotel porter, cuts sandwiches for a late supper. Ted Russell leaves twice, returning to for his share of the sandwiches before finally weaving his way down the road on a borrowed lady's bicycle, which probably means stolen. <laughs> yeah. Too drunk to walk, so I'll ride a bike. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I imagine how things end up there. That's pretty funny. So through these tableau walks, Donald Fraser, he comes on in, or staggers perhaps, for he is very drunk. Fraser serves customers, conducts small items of business, which would have to be about gambling, taking money, giving money, whatever, finishing things off, places an arm around his daughter while sitting on a couch and then sinks onto the third step of the main staircase before he is helped upstairs to his bed. He's pretty drunk, or is he drugged? Yes. Or is he drugged? Drugged. We don't know, do we? Because there's you a think question. Is drugged too that she can't remember or can't see? Oh, there's a twist. There's yeah. a twist, yeah. So we'll get there. Um, that left really Don's wife is the only testimony to what happens next. So after that, of course, his daughter's gone up to bed. He's she's helped him up to bed. And the next part, his wife Elizabeth takes over. She says her husband, she and her husband were in bed together by 11.45 and talked for a while. So here we've got a guy who can barely sit on a stair and she's saying she's gone up after him and he's talking to her for a while before a car pulled up and the front doorbell rang. 
and she says Don Fraser called down from the balcony and getting no response went down to answer the door same guy who could barely get up the stairs by himself remember that bit okay, that's a bit of uh, unrealistic it sounds creative right inspirational even yeah <laughs> she's dying See, that means right there right there when Higgs was called from his room he found the sorry Elizabeth said she was asleep by the time he returned so he's gone downstairs absolutely barely able to get upstairs then he's come back and she's already asleep and the next thing she heard was a loud explosion in the bedroom she said she did not see the person who shot her husband and presently she was in the hallway outside the bedroom screaming what do you think that's a lie <laughs> there's a lot going on there that doesn't add up right yeah, it doesn't add up at all. You know why? Because, you know, I mean, if she really cared for him, she would have gone. She would have been the one going to the door because he was drunk and he couldn't get... So I don't I'm know. She's the... Yeah, no, I don't know if I would go to the door of a hotel after it's closed, if somebody's banging on the door, if you're a woman, would you? Yeah. No, I'd send the guy. You'd send the if, guy. If, if, he's, if he was so tired and, he's, and people held him and he was so drunk, they're drunk, you yep. think he's going to open the door? No, I... As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. I don't think he could do it, but I'm saying I wouldn't go either. I'd just leave it, right? Yeah, I had a baseball bat. Well, you know, if you've got a big drunk guy coming in and he's angry, you don't need to deal with that, right? You wouldn't open the door. Um, she says he yelled down from the balcony. If he did do that, then why would he go down? You know, there's there's a few things in there. There's a few questions in there. And then if, if he went down and somebody was trying to kill him or wanting to kill him, then why would he get shot in the bedroom? Why not kill him down there? Exactly, you killed him at the front door. There's a whole lot of weird stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was no cameras back then, so it's not like he's got to hide from You can't rewind, right. So the the main source of of this information, sorry, when Higgs himself, the other long-term tenant in the pub, he was called from his room and he found the force of the two shotgun blasts at close range had been sufficient to lift Fraser out of his bed and deposit his body on the floor. Gosh, can you imagine that? That is no. phenomenal, right? So a double-barrel shotgun at virtually point-blank range had 
that amount of force. The killer was nowhere to be seen. That's according to now we're talking about Higgs, the other guy that was living there. The main source is the police files and the inquest reports from 1934. By the new year of 1934, remember this all took place in November, six weeks after his murder, the police were gaining an intimate knowledge of Don Fraser's private life. After all, it was a fairly public one, so there were plenty of people that had plenty to say. Even in small towns, folks can have a secret life, but one that nobody knows anything about. Probably one of the bigger misnomers is the belief that everybody knows everything, and I've heard that in lots of little places that I've lived. I've lived in a big place, and I've lived in little places, and nobody knows everything about everybody. If somebody wants something secret, they know how to keep it that way. And in a small town, they're probably better at it because they know it, once it gets out, it's gone, you know. Um, one of the interesting things, of course, is that there's another bit of a twist in here. Um, for the police to put everything together, they had to look at every single interaction he had. And it made it easier to connect the dots, eliminate suspects and track movements of those who may be involved. So there's a slight difference with Don. Um, he worked and lived in a public space, living in the hotel in his upstairs room. I mean, everybody living and in his area knew exactly when he was in when he was out what he was doing yeah, yeah everything is yeah because yeah. he did this idea when he when he was working even or even when he was out you know he would hear everything that went on anybody else would hear it in a hotel like that you hear if he's having an argument with his wife you know you'd hear it exactly. if you were living every, he knows secrets of every, you need when you work in a hotel you know the secrets of everyone that's right Everybody will bring their girlfriend there or their sisters there or anything like that. Like any, any deals, wheeling and dealings, you'll know. And they keep talking about the long-term guest. And so we can only assume that there was no short-term people staying there. Because quite a striking realisation. It's a fairly large hotel um, with one long-term guest. And of course, the usual comings and goings of travellers. There's also his daughter living there. Um, there would be horse folk that would stay there because they would be travelling their horses down country to the big races. So they would be yeah. staying there as well. Salespeople, businessmen, and a raft of transient types. The police discovered that Don had two great passions during his last months. And here we go, are you ready? Before he yeah. was shot dead in November, neither of those passions was his wife Elizabeth. Oh, 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 oh. oh. <laughs> So she's pissed off, her fortune will go somewhere. So. Maybe. So one of his passions, of course, was his racehorse Silver Ring. It was a chestnut gelding, and it was the first and only racehorse Fraser ever owned. Accounts vary as to how much Fraser paid for him, but in 1933, the year that he was killed, the horse was valued at £300. That's oh, a lot wow. of money. Back then, a lot of money. Um, only slightly less than the amount paid for the younger Farlap. I don't, you may not have heard of Farlap, but if anybody's heard of Farlap, it was like the world's best racehorse at, at the same oh, time. Wow. So it, it was only a little bit less that he paid for him. So this is a big... Uh, big amount of money spent. Big amount of money and a hopeful horse, right? Uh, Silver Ring was a star two-year-old in 1932, but something happened to cause it to lose form really badly and it didn't win a single race in the last year of Fraser's life okay which is profound and I want you to hold that form possibly okay. it was injured during a sea voyage to an unsuccessful campaign on the racetrack in New South Wales during 1932 I would say though that a year is a very long time for recovery perhaps as Fraser once said it was suffering from blood poisoning but nobody really knows if that's true or not and of course we did have you know, the stud master, and we had all of these people that apparently are um, not mentioning it because only Fraser is. 
uh, in, in the police reports, they're saying Fraser said, not anybody else. Whatever was ailing the horse, Fraser never gave up on Silver Ring, so he knew that it should be okay, always believing that he would come right one day. He even turned down the offer of an enormous amount of money for him, £3,500, more than twice or three times the amount he'd paid for his entire hotel business. Wow. Right? So his whole hotel cost less, and he turned that down for the horse. The other great love in his last months of his life was a younger woman he met on a trip to Wellington. She was never publicly identified at the time, although police did describe her to the world at large as a woman of decent name in a good position in life. So his wife had her own teeth, and this woman's a decent woman with a good position in life. So kind of interesting. Now it's important to note that so far as the picture painted of Don as a bully or a violent type, there are questions here because he had enough going on to be able to develop a relationship with a woman who if not a tart of the day would also have known he was married known his lifestyle and still found him attractive enough to start an affair at a time when that was a little less common for a lady if you know what i mean as a lady yeah in newspaper reports and at the coroner inquest she was simply referred to as miss x because they didn't want to ruin her reputation that's right so she's somebody in power I don't think power is the right word. They talk about her job and stuff, but I don't think it's power. It's just because she's a woman of good character and they didn't want to bring her down. And this was national news over the whole country, right? The truth pictured her rather fancifully as a woman in a mask. Even today, that's, that's the picture that they've got there. Even today, relatively little can be discovered about her, but she worked as a cashier for a Wellington company. So a cashier would either be retail, banking, anything like that. She enjoyed going to the races and trots with her girlfriends and lived in the suburb of Hatai with her widowed mother. Um, they have a name for her. Her name was Eileen Hardcastle. So she was a middle-class woman who worked, who, when we say wasn't a tart, we're not being smart mouth, right? She wasn't a working girl. She wasn't of low income that would be attracted maybe to the money, if that makes yeah, yeah, sense. Yeah. Fraser's murder happened at the height of the Great Depression. New Zealand was going through an economic and social crisis so harrowing that it would affect forever many of the people who enjoyed it, and it's true. People were dying of starvation, I kid you not. It was pretty tough stuff. There was no support, and all these people were migrants coming into the country and trying to find their fortune, and they would get more desperate and more desperate. They'd be starving, and there was absolutely no help. In fact, it was because of this that they created our social system that we've got today, which is pretty decent, actually, because the government of the day decided no more would people die of starvation in New Zealand. Okay, because they couldn't find work. Um, the hotel, though, and Don Fraser didn't have a problem. <laughs> they had a small, isolated world, and it was as if the depression just didn't exist within its walls. In fact, it's not stretching things to say that the place was awash with money. The frequent after-hours party hosted by the Frasers were not just a way for the congenial host to let off steam. They were calculated money-making opportunities. Large amounts of hard liquor were always consumed, the customers bought into bought the drinks in rounds. Do you know what that is? Do you? Yeah. Yeah. They bought the drinks in rounds, and while this sounds hard-edged, it was common rather than a rare practice in pubs the world over, most likely. In real terms, with men working, women were not a feature in the bars as they are today. And even on race day at the races, pubs only had a few hours to make their money with six o'clock closing, and they weren't allowed to open before eleven. So that was their time span to make their money. So staying open late and continuing to sell booze was a thing. 
The reason it was called a swill is that most punters would finish work about 5pm, race down to their local and drink sociably for about 40 minutes and then buy last minute drinks and pour them as quickly as they could down their throats. Later they would get barmen to fill flagons to take home. That was in my father's time, by the way. Yeah. But this time there were there were brews were out of barrels and on tap. You weren't buying bottles or anything in a bar. You were buying it and drinking it. The name of the, the is derived of pig feeding, where liquid and food are mixed and thrown into a trough, where the pigs race and hustle their way to the bottom of the trough, getting as much for themselves in as short a time as possible. <laughs> and that was we cool. called. By the time I was a young woman, it was still called the six o'clock swill, or seven o'clock swill. Yeah, for the same reason they shut early in New Zealand. Uh, one allegation made against Elizabeth Fraser during the Washdite years, the first pub that they managed, uh, and it was never proved, was that she would deliberately get wealthy men into compromising situations with the decoys and then try to extort money from them. Publicans are galvanizing types, and that is that they're loved or hated because the majority of their interactions are with the darker side of community. And sure, there are the upstanding that have a few drinks type, but truthfully, they would only be a small part of the publican's daily grind. And even then, if you've got somebody with money, and we all know that, you get the rich guy, plenty of money to sprout around, he's drunk too much hard liquor, it doesn't mean he stays a nice guy, right? That's right. And then if she's, like, toying with him... Exactly. Um, We also have um, the... Ted Russell? Yes, Ted Russell. Carry on. Oh, the Fraser's friend Ted Russell. A a freezing worker was identified in police reports as having a sideline as a bookmaker who filed his tent in Renaissance Hotel Bar. He is uh, safe to assume that Fraser would have known about the condensed condoned because it was illegal so he would have had to have had don's permission right he would have had to have his he would have don would have known that he would have known it and probably made money off it he would have taken a percentage no doubts that he would have taken he would have taken a cut yeah Yeah. Um, although it brought it brought in business he may not have felt the need for it thinking right it's a possibility so you've got two sides to look at that if people came in and they spent money at his bar because the guy had the gambling there then he probably wouldn't care too much um, a lot has been going on in this hotel like everything you'd ever think possible <laughs> in one place it, it's a central and, and there would have been hooking as well no doubts about that as well you know so that, that, that the, the authorities weren't dealing with it he never had any um, claims against him so the police probably, you know, had a fair knowledge that as long as there's no problem and like we said before, they were probably going. Um, Bruce Young was a little bit of a different cop, you know, he came from out of town, he came from out of a city, Christchurch was a city. Um, he, he decided that Fraser's conduct had got progressively worse in the years after they took over the Rickerton establishment, after they took over the Racecourse Hotel. Um, both him and Elizabeth drank heavily, especially being she was a heavy drinker of spirits. Um, it's an assumption that their drinking got worse, as I have yet to meet a teetotaling publican anyway. So all of these are determined after his death that this is what happened, when it may not have been like that at all. It's just, yeah, now you're looking sort of a thing, right? Oh, I see what you mean. He, he, so, yeah. Bruce Young. That's the policeman. Yeah. That's quite disparaging. He noted that women of low moral character were encouraged to visit the hotel. And I'm like, of course, you know. 
Um, Why are they blaming women? Well, they're bringing women in to keep the men there, right? Yes. No doubt. No, no doubts at all. And they probably get free drinks, maybe a free room for the night. They probably get paid by the guy. Who knows? Right. Maybe not. Maybe they just had a good time, girls. You know, party girls. Um, That's right. But Bruce Young, that cop that came in in 1934, was very disparaging about everything to do with the Frasers, the hotel. So I think he may have been an upstanding kind of a guy. And uh, being from the city as well, he was more about the law than he was about, you know, turning a blind eye. He considered that a number of uh, Fraser's friends were undesirables. So, you know, it's a pub. That's all we've got, right? Um, Fraser's three bank accounts totaled about £670, which was a lot of money. Okay, well, he was making money, no doubt. No doubt. Um, at this point, I'd have to say, too, you often hear modern equivalents in dollars, but these are wildly inaccurate for a really good reason. Um, it actually annoys me because what you can buy for the money determines its value, not the actual what you turn it into. Uh, a dollar exchange is not a dollar value, is what I'm saying over time. The equivalent placed on that for today is about $70,000. So although it's a decent amount today, it's not a fortune. You couldn't buy a house with it. Having said that, back then we're talking about him buying a whole business for $3,500. A whole pub, <laughs> right? So value for money suggests $70,000 or the equivalent to that in his bank is a lot of money just in savings, right? It's just savings. Uh, if you look at the value in 1973, you could buy a house for $50,000 in New Zealand, in the city, in Auckland, not down where he was. In 2020, it's barely a deposit, right? So that's the kind of thing you're looking at. The value of that £670 was probably the equivalent to four years' wages for him. Not for everybody else. For everybody else, it's a lot less, you know. And in yes. a depression time, people were, were dying. Uh, they... The average wage uh, around then was about two hundred pound per annum. Okay. Okay. So six hundred and seventy in the banks, three years' wages, right? So he accumulated a lot of money then. He accumulated, and that's over his expenses. He's still got to pay expenses. He's still got to pay for for stuff. So it is a lot of money. But wait, there's more. On the night oh. he died, there were also large amounts of gold and cash in the hotel, including sovereigns and half sovereigns. To the value of 30 pounds in Fraser's wardrobe and more than eight in his trousers uh, or on his mantelpiece. Strangely, there was also 124 pounds hidden in a linen press in a cupboard in the hall. As the police found these, no one either knew of them or killed him to steal them because they were still there after he died. So, I don't know. The way, the way they put it, it's like the police found it, but I doubt that they would have looked in the linen press in the cupboard in the hall for the gun, maybe? I don't know. I'm not sure why they would have looked in there. House, maybe searching for clues and stuff? Perhaps. Or somebody told them to look there, you know, to say, look, it can't have been for the money. Um, in, oh, in July of 1933, just before he was killed, so now we're down to four months or so, he attended a race meeting at Wellington, leaving his wife in charge of the hotel. He travelled as he usually did on the overnight ferry to Wellington, which is in the North Island, so he had to get the ferry over from the South Island. Uh, and he ran into a woman called Eileen at the Trentham race course on the same trip in July and took her and some of her friends to lunch. Back in Christchurch, he wrote her um, to a friend in Wellington and mentioned her name. So this information got passed on and the young woman wrote back. So it was the beginning of an affair. 
Donald now had only five months to live. Did the affair have something it to do with it? There. Yeah, I was thinking about that too. So now we've got money, we've got a horse, and we've got an affair. <laughs> Crazy Did wrote... she knew about it? Well, he told her. So here we go. Now, bearing in mind too that New Zealand had early voting for women, the first in the world. We had early marital laws, all of that sort of stuff, protecting women, by the way. In the 30s, we certainly had them. Fraser wrote long and rambling letters to this woman, and he would say to her things like, Dear girly and little sweetheart, <laughs> to address her. She appears on the Wellington East electoral roll as early as 1928, which means she was at least in her late 20s and perhaps a little older when she first met Don. So he also referred to her as Little Miss Independence. So we're not talking as much of a rough guy, right? We're talking a businessman. No, he's he was, actually a sweetheart. He was a, well, I don't know about that, but he was a manager of a draper. He knew how to talk to people. He knew how to manage people. He had authority and he had money. He had a lot going for him, okay. in fact. Yes. Um, in September, just a couple of months before, he returned to Wellington, taking his car. For two weeks, the lovers took an extended road trip through the North Island, travelling as man and wife while staying in the better hotels. The image so far constructed of Fraser is that a violent and authoritarian bully. But in his correspondences to Eileen, something else shows, you know. He goes, I love your little lady like ways, sweetheart. They are good. Uh, another thing, I am not going to explain them, but I love them. Nothing seems any trouble for you to do for me, and you are very thoughtful towards me. You are lovely, and I love you. So this is the things he's writing to her in letters. Um, he also wrote, Sweetheart, I enjoyed my short stay in Wellington last weekend, and did I not enjoy the trots? Of course I did. It was simply glorious to have you with me, darling. I did enjoy it. So I was more interested in you, dear, than the trots. I loved it all. I mean, this is a man with obviously a softer side. Now we've got to think about Elizabeth's wife. I mean, obviously having a fear is not great. But we think about oh. Elizabeth's wife, who would have been a tougher character, right? She would have been, yeah. you know, she was a drinker. So drinker, smoker, in, in her element in the pubs. But maybe not the most feminine. Um, before long, the people who knew of the affair included his wife, Elizabeth. By the time Donald and Eileen returned to Wellington, <gasps> Elizabeth was also in the capital, which is Wellington, New Zealand's our capital looking for her husband and she booked into the royal oak hotel downtown whether by accident or design nobody knows and she encountered don and eileen together at the trentham races uh -oh. <laughs> the next morning she turned up early at the house of don's mother to see if her husband had been sleeping there and as he said he would he was absent in fact he had stayed the night at eileen's bed in her tai tai and Elizabeth threw her arms around the neck of her brother-in-law, Dick Fraser, and told him that she had seen Donald at the races with another woman. She was very wild and crying bitterly, Dick told the police. What I find oh, wow. interesting about this is that it may be likely that Don had not only informed his wife of where he was going, but why he was going there. Um, yeah, yeah, he was leaving her, I feel was. There was clearly no expectation upon running into Don that his paramour at the races that he would go and stay at the hotel where his wife was. And I say that because she didn't go back there. So that means she didn't expect him to go back there. So I'm thinking he probably had told her or let her know before he came away that this is what's going on. It may be the whole hunt for him at his mother's was a ploy to ensure that his affair was out in the open and that she would be seen as the bereaved or the victim, right? Yeah, yeah. She wasn't the type to suffer in silence. 
No, I can tell she's making <laughs> He's making it. She's just freaking out. Interesting. After he got back to Christchurch, they had a big argument so loud and explosive that it sent Joyce, the daughter, running out of the hotel to the detached cottage behind. They may have had fights like that, though, before because there's a yes. detached cottage on the property and she was comfortable enough going there. Or she may have been seeing men in that detached cottage as well. So there are a few comments about that. Um, Don had a difficult... Uh, she, she, Joyce said, I had heard a noise in my mother's bedroom. I heard my father's voice. He seemed to be very angry. As I came in, he went to tear up her coat and I went to take it from him. Elizabeth Fraser later said that her husband was angry because she had taunted him with the assertion that she too had a lover, something she subsequently denied and which she said she made up just to annoy him. Donald Fraser had a different account of the argument which seems to have occurred on the night of October 26, three weeks before his death. According to a letter he wrote to Eileen, he said Elizabeth had started her games and cut his own brown overcoat and a pair of his pajamas to ribbon after he asked her to leave the hotel. He managed uh -oh. to uh oh. He managed to uh -oh. save a checked overcoat from Elizabeth's scissors, but quite a lot of my clothes are gone. Police later examined the ruined clothing and concluded that Elizabeth must have been in a violent rage when she did the damage. Sydney Higgs overheard part of the argument and said to Pat Door in the kitchen, There is a Donny Brook upstairs, and she replied, You have only heard the tail end of it. So his daughter lied, right? Because she said yes. it was him doing the yelling, not the mother. So the daughter lied for the mother, which is another interesting thing, right? How many times does she lie for the mother? Well, there you go. And then <laughs> we get to the final part of this story. So it turns out Elizabeth's got a bit of a bad reputation, and a lot of people didn't like her. So this doesn't mean she committed the crime, but it means people wanted to believe she did, right? So... Um, she often lied to the police about her marriage. She stated that it was a happy marriage and she had no complaints about Don's conduct with other women. She was questioned twice and in the days following his death um, was then after that just left alone by the murder commission detectives as they pursued other inquiries. They just left her. Uh, in January, Detective Young, our Bruce friend, called at the hotel wanting to interview her again and she became white hot with anger, he reported, and refused to talk to him. Before end of day, she had hired one of Christchurch's top criminal barristers who went straight to the top with a formal statement saying Mrs. Fraser would not be interviewed and any questions they had would need to come through him. This forced them to go elsewhere for information about her and Don and for her a mistake as she didn't come out looking particularly good. <laughs> so uh, she wasn't that liked. So people had an opportunity now that had a go at him, right? Now they're having yeah, a go yeah. at her. According to her own cousin, she was a terrible liar. He added that nothing will convince me that she is not at the bottom of it. At this time, she was most definitely a suspect. As it was known that Don had not just been having an affair, but trying to kick her out of the hotel, and that by October they were talking separation and possibly divorce. Great motives for her unless he was prepared to endow her with money, which he may very well have, as he could not only afford to, but would have possibly seen it as an easy way to shift her. I would suggest that he had enough money in the bank to say, oh, I'm going to give you that, off you go. And she could have gone. But we still have that greater amount, right? That she could have the money and the business. Well, and she did. In and the she end, she it. did. And she did. And it gets worse for her, really. Um, 
she she goes on because you know her lifestyle as well was the pub they had been married 18 years so we're not talking a short-term thing here they've got a 16 year old daughter remember the Frasers had yeah. significant resources when much of the country was at pauper status, unemployment high, property prices were down, even a modest amount of money would have seen Elizabeth in a good position to buy property. She could have really set herself up. Uh, if she desired her own hotel as a business, she was well acquainted with it. It's much less likely that she would have become poor and needed to live off the streets. It's not how New Zealand was set up back then. Also, he would have probably wanted to go the easy way up. Let's just get her out, and the way to do that is to give her money. Due to her right. lawyer's intervention, it was seven months after Don's murder before Elizabeth once again found herself uh, on the stand at the inquest. As a first-time event, she was questioned for a day and a half. It's a long time. The press published what was claimed to be a verbatim account of her testimony, nearly two whole pages in the paper. On the witness stand, she was often vague and evasive, speaking in a voice so low that it was difficult to hear her. Much of what she said was obviously and demonstrably untrue, but not all of it. Elizabeth stated to the police that she had talked and then Don had gone downstairs to answer a knock at the door. Elizabeth said she had fallen asleep and that the next time she woke up, Don had been shot. Police noted in reports, are you ready? Are you ready? This is the bit. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, tell me now! <laughs> <laughs> in Mrs. Fraser's side of the bed appeared to not have been slept in and that the creases from ironing were still in pristine order on her pillowcase so oh 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 so she shot him well maybe maybe not they don't think she did actually but she wasn't in bed beside him that's the key bit right there she was behind the gun maybe paying for it maybe why isn't she in bed with him? Didn't we fell asleep? But, nope. so but she could have jumped into bed and then got up to shoot him, right? It gets better. Upon examination of the bullets that shot Don Fraser were found to have come from the west coast, other side of the, the island down there, an area Elizabeth had visited a few weeks prior to the shooting. Not out ruling the possibility she may have hired someone to kill her husband, but there was some other evidence which doesn't exonerate her, but adds a different twist for sure. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, a major discovery was a footprint found on the landing of the fire escape outside the couple's bedroom. It was thought a rubber-soled shoe made the imprint and the footwear of everyone at the house was examined. A pair of rubber galoshes were found in Donald's room and the police concluded they did not match the print on the balcony. She said he went out onto the balcony when somebody knocked on the door. But this is somebody else's footprint. Inquiries were made at shops and warehouses to try and trace the make and brand of a shoe that would leave a similar impression. So they were pretty thorough, right, Uh, for the 1930s. Numerous imprints were made of different brands and types and eventually police determined the footprint most likely belonged to a friend of the couple's daughter, Joyce who may have been paying nocturnal visits. Okay. Interesting. Isn't that interesting? So here's the problem I've got with that. Why would he be out on the veranda where there's no exit down to the front? But does that make some sense? So there's... Maybe it is, but then interesting. There's no reason for him to go to get in or out of the building. He'd have to jump down quite a long way to get out, and you couldn't get up. So why would it be out on the deck in front of their rooms at all? Um, As the killer fled through French doors and over a balcony, the shotgun was never found. So then you've got, okay, they're saying that he went out to the balcony, jumped over, but it can't have been his shoe. It had to be somebody else's or this other person isn't a suspect because they had an alibi for that night. When the coroner summed up the evidence, he would make statements that would ruin Elizabeth's reputation forever. He stated that he was pleased that some of the witnesses had been truthful and went on to name those witnesses and then added, I leave to the public the estimation of other evidence that has been brought before the court. Those who were not on that list of truthful testimony were instantly branded as liars and unofficially at least found guilty of murder or conspiracy to murder. Don's inner circle was being seen in a different light. Marion Wood, Ted Russell, Joyce Fraser and Elizabeth Fraser None of them were mentioned on that list of truthful testimony. Is that interesting? Interesting enough, yes. Now, Higgs, if you remember, uh, sorry, Ted Russell, his friend, um, and Marion Wood, the worker, while there seems to be some level of certainty due to the affair and state of their marriage that Elizabeth was involved, it was proven fairly conclusively that she did not shoot the weapon. There is a question as to whether she was even in the bed or in the room at the time of the shooting. And there was no doubt she was lying about things. But what things exactly, no one can be sure. The hotel was searched at least twice following the murder and so was the surrounding district. No traces of the gun were found. So if somebody in that house shot him, they would have had to have left the house, but they were all there afterwards. Interesting. So there's a question about the gun, uh, if it was somebody else. So here's something I thought. I, I pretty much feel like she was behind it, or maybe yeah. Ted, Ted Russell, because of the horse bit. That horse was worth a lot of money. He, I feel like somebody from the gambling. So that, that in this group would be Ted Russell that they considered to be a liar, and he was also his friend, and they had had a few sort of tips but yeah something to to be noted um he also ran the bookmaking right so oh sorry he was a stud master and so when we when we put those things together 
I think that the reason Elizabeth was lying and wasn't around, my personal feelings through it all, were that she was having an affair and sleeping in another room after he got too drunk. And the only other person that lived there was Higgs, was the long term. Um, so you think she, I think so too, why would that guy stay there all the time? Well, I lived at a pub for a year and a bit, but so <laughs> sometimes it's convenience, you know. So, so the, the, the question becomes though, it, it could have been just because it was locale, because of course there were less places to live, he may have been able to afford it, and there mightn't have been anything else he wanted to live in, I don't know, it was depression era. But at the same time, she definitely wasn't in bed, we don't doubt that. They've pretty much proven conclusively that she didn't have the capability of shooting a double barrel shotgun. And that's okay, because they're not an easy thing to deal with. So I get that. They're quite long barrel, depends yeah, on your size, okay. all of that stuff. And she didn't have any indications. Like, you'd be bruised, you'd have some kind of indication yeah, on you. Yeah, you'd have a kick back from that. Yeah. Because they, they... Especially if you're not familiar with them. And I doubt that she would have been familiar it with has, them. It has to be a tall guy to kind of hit him like that. Or somebody familiar with guns, at the least, right? Right. So if you go the other side of that, too, the person put the gun really close to him when they could have done just as much damage from the door or from a few feet away. So why did they get that close to him? You know, so there's anger, anger get up close, I'm going to kill yes. you. So if yeah, she yeah, was yeah. having an affair, it is entirely possible that the person she was having the affair with and her might have been in it together. Right? I feel so, or uh, maybe still money because that's what they would have wanted out of it if she got a payout she would have had a fraction of the money she could have if he was dead anyway and now he she has a doll because yeah he, yeah he got murdered so within the day within days of the end of the inquest the coroner received a note that he believed was a deliberate red hearing mr mosley you are a very smart man accusing witnesses of telling lies but you are on the wrong track i shot donald fraser and it was felt wrong uh, and I was quite justified in doing so. You have, you have the best part to find me. So with Fraser being misspelled, nobody's sure if that's on purpose. The police had handwriting experts examined the note and found it to be inconclusive. So two out of four of them thought it was Elizabeth's hand, and the other two did not. Oh, interesting! Isn't that interesting? So they went on. So I do believe that the coroner has the right idea that this is a fake letter to, to distract but there's four one two three four people in the list that he's called liars basically that's the list of people he didn't mention and congratulate for telling the truth and that's those four people marion wood ted russell joyce fraser the daughter and elizabeth fraser and so the misspelling of fraser is a really unusual misspelling because it's always spelt with an s so that seems a little bit on purpose uh, also you are a smart man accusing witnesses of telling lies says it's one of those people that re wrote that letter right yeah yeah one of those exactly yeah. because couldn't be anybody else so the problem here is exacerbated by the police believing without a doubt that elizabeth had conspired to kill her husband due to the serious nature of the fear and i don't think that was quite right and that's where they got a little bit flummoxed probably and the problem is because it prevents them from seeing other potentials they had gone over every part of evidence but came up short of being able to prove her involvement. Elizabeth stayed as landlady of the hotel for only one more year after the inquest and subsequent dismissal 
and then returned to New South Wales with her lover. Oh. Oh. Who's it? They never mentioned who her lover was. Now, what happened to Silver Ring, the horse? Yeah, so there's a lover that nobody's mentioned in here. Exactly, nowhere. So nowhere. He wasn't investigated. Yet he's he's close enough to her a year later to go back to us to go to Australia. Um, yeah. Silver Ring the horse. The year following Don's death, he made a spectacular comeback, winning several major races, including the prestigious Telegraph Handicap at Trentham. Post mortem, Don's horse wins made him the eighth most successful racehorse owned in the country. So she was sabotaging that horse. Well, I think that maybe she was having an affair with the stud master. Yes. Because he would have had access. Apparently, yeah. It tells itself like the story. Actually, right now you you nailed it. It's it's quite. Why does the horse all of a sudden like changes like that that quick? It it is quick, and so it has a year of not running well, and then suddenly it comes back after his death. And then she leaves a year later. So she sold the business, she got all the money, and ran, basically. Um, She had to leave the country. She would never have been treated well in New Zealand after being all over the news. Um, And so we've already got her daughter lying for her over this argument, right? So she would probably be in on it as well? Yes. At a guess. daddy? Yep. So mum, the daughter, and the lover. I think there were three, maybe four people involved in it because you needed that number because his life was so public. Exactly. So if people ganged against him, they they just, yes. So when they they checked for the buying of the bullets that they came from the, the West Coast, there were so few places selling ammunition that when they went over, the West Coast is very low population down the South Island even now. When they went over there, to the the places that sold guns and bullets, um, they found none were sold to a woman. Woman, by the way, so that means she definitely she went over there. So who did she go with? Some her lover must have been right. I mean that's a deduction. Because how, but it's interesting because you know what I mean you cannot get a lover after after the murder. So that was already stated. She had an affair for a long time too. Well, the chances are good. I'm not saying it's absolute, yeah. but. They've got her travelling to the West Coast, they've got the bullets coming from the West Coast, but they couldn't tie her to it. So she had to have been with somebody, or somebody was meeting her there, or she went. She went there for a reason, so the timing of things, why would she go there? Would she go there knowing it would be a red herring later, that they wouldn't be able to put her in the shop buying the bullets, you know? So there's that question right there, is if they couldn't do that, then there had to be another person buying those bullets if they came from there and she went there. It's sort of like, mm. and she seemed to be canny enough, right, to do that by going to his mum's and to his brother and saying, you know, oh, he's done this, da 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 da. She can get out in front of things and so she can plan ahead to deceive. She definitely had that going on because all of everybody kind of thought she did it, but nobody could put the dots together at all. Right. For Elizabeth, but I think that's because she didn't do it on her own. That's what I think, and I think she didn't go to bed that night because she knew that it was going to happen that night. And I don't believe personally that there was anybody knocking on the door that she didn't let in. No, no, she didn't go to that bed. He was drunk and he was helped upstairs, and the rest took over. So you've got all I of these think... things that aren't adding up, right? It's quite interesting. That's why we like unsolved mysteries. Oh my gosh, but I feel like, how, oh, what? 
Well, at the end of it, you just go for what you feel is the most likely persons, I guess. So we let everybody make their own decisions based on all of the individuals in the play and the game, um, the outflow, which we know they're all the facts as they were, were, were handed over. The only things that weren't facts were about his personality, really, about what went on, those sort of things were opinions. And sure, I'm sure he was a hard man. I have no doubts about that. But I also know he probably had to be. You get a pub like that full of drunk people. People, yeah. You know, what are you going to do? You're not calling because the police. It's about the money, apparently, right? Because uh, totally. she had, when, they had, when he had an affair, she, she probably had an affair the whole time, and he was, she was going to keep it that way. But when he got an affair, then she got threatened. Well, that's, so that's where, where I'm thinking she would never leave him. Because she yeah, would, she would have never left him. She would have lose it around and kept, you know what I mean, being married to him because she know money's hers. But as soon as she got threatened with a separation and all that, damn, the guy ends up dead. So basically, I want it all well, at that, the end of the day. Uh, and I think that, that there was a con with that horse as well before he died. You know, There was something stayed with, yes. And so the con there, you've got a horse that's losing and then a guy comes up and offers him three and a half thousand pounds for it. Right. Yeah, who's the guy? That's exactly, the guy that's who offered him that. And that's while the horse was still being sick. So it was making the horse sick to sell the horse so that somebody could make that killing later. It paid out loads more than that after it won those races, by the way. It yeah. just <clears throat> paid out huge dollars. So so there's that aspect of it is in the game as well. And so the only question is, are those two things related You know, to... To the same so person. could be somebody she was involved with that was messing with the horse. For my what my intake is, so it has to. It still has to. It's part of that gambling thing that she was tied to be behind his back. I'm feeling. Well, he clearly didn't know about it. So, you still got to have somebody who's got access to the horse and knowledge enough to make the horse sick, right? So that it can't win for a whole year. Exactly. Not just That's one or two time. races. It's like, a long time, yeah, to stop yeah. it from winning. So they would have to be doing something that would make it not quite well for that reason. And it would have to be some kind of... Um, a vet or somebody or a chemist. Well, we've got the, the, the trainers, anybody that's around the horse would have that kind of knowledge or the ability to do something like that. So horses don't live in your backyard, right? Racehorses live at a stud. They live at a racehorsing place and they get trainers and they have riders and they go out every single day and get put through their paces and they get special diets all of that stuff goes on for racehorses so it's not like he's got him in his backyard and keeping an eye on him so he has to trust all of these people to do the right thing so maybe he was a bit too trusting that means it had to be somebody he knew well um, yes. and believed the story that he was told and the question for me is if you got a horse even if it ran well started losing 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 for nearly a year would somebody come up and offer three and a half thousand pounds for it exactly why would they do that yeah so the i don't know the question becomes are they two separate events or are they a single thing going on that led to his death in the end he wouldn't sell the horse so you know we go down the next track maybe the whole thing is all one particular moment or event um, so anyway, that's our show for today. We've gone a little bit over, <laughs> significantly well, over. Just a little bit. Unsolved mysteries. It's a big story, right? So yeah, um, like getting through it's pretty good. 
And of course, you, you're left with that idea. Anybody that goes back, listen to the whole story. As you listen to that story, you're going to hear every single player. All of that information comes out of the New Zealand Police Archives, and they are all transcripts of interviews and the inquest. Uh, and so it makes it very interesting because you can decide for yourself who you think did it. And of course, while it's clear who they thought did it, it seems to me to be a bit bigger than where they were targeting. I think if they broadened their view a little bit, they would have picked up the other players, you know, the other people that were potentially a part of it. And they might have worked out where they'd gone instead of concentrating so hard on Elizabeth that they missed maybe other players in the game. Yeah. Her boyfriend. That that guy, yeah. That guy who isn't named yeah. anywhere we except we don't for know exactly. Why is he why is he hiding? Yeah. How does he end up going with her, leaving town, leaving country with her? He was part of it the whole time, but nobody seems to mention him. What? They mentioned his girlfriend, but not her boyfriend, so why? And that would be that he was either keeping a low profile, or he had not hit the radar because they didn't know he was her boyfriend, so he didn't seem like he was part of the game. You know? So with so many potentials, you either go broad, right? You go wide, wide net and everybody's potential, but they honed in on Elizabeth pretty quickly. They, I don't think they were wrong, just that I think she definitely had a bit of help, if not a lot of help. And if she had a lot of help, then it becomes that question of, well, how did they miss that? Because they definitely missed the boyfriend thing. <laughs> definitely missed That's it. Right. Yeah. There's nothing about him, but he's been there the whole time. Yeah, exactly. So that's where I think Elizabeth was quite clever all of her lies and fudging kept the focus on her and she knew that they could never put that gun in her hand and they she knew that they could never prove that she bought the bullets because she didn't somebody else did exactly so she i think she was quite hard, hard in there actually got away with it pretty good yeah yeah i think she was quite clever and quite cunning i think the daughter probably had a good idea as well she had yeah but she would never betray her mom on that one i think she was against her dad already to begin with well she'd already shown her willingness yeah. to lie for her mother right at the start yeah. so she becomes unreliable at that moment right right there and the police have proven her to be lying but still didn't get a true accounting from her and so then there becomes that question of all of that money so it was all left in place exactly so basically she knew she was beneficiary because it's her mother's daughter you understand her that's the her one dad's fortune coming yeah. to her so the next generation gets so she shut up there the, the police looked around the house and it was there and they're going okay so it's not a break-in and a robbery or nobody knew that money was there because it was a lot of money in cash yeah but the, the, the daughter and the mother would know that once that's done and that they're getting that money it's theirs so they yeah, don't yeah, need yeah. to try and hide it or take it or do anything with there it. There was no need to it, that, so it was countable. Yeah. Too. Quite fascinating, right? So there we go. That's our wonderful stories. Hello there, Michelle. Um, she's popped on in there. And um, she's heard half of it, maybe. So we've had a, like extra long show. Yeah, it's almost uh, one hour and 45 minutes. Yeah. But it was fun though, and it, this thing too. Well, it's, it's actually quite nice to get all of that information out. There's most of the, the, the unsolved that I do don't have that level of information. That's probably the most detailed police accounting I've ever seen in my life. You it know? makes it even much better because it happens in your kind of town, like you know, I mean, your own country and places like where you're familiar with, and you know pretty much everything about you, lived in all the places. 
Well, there's there's others that I've got that I think are interesting from other countries, but you never get that police detail. You know, you get newspaper accounts and you get certain right. amount of it, but this one was just so well recorded. I, I, I don't know if yeah. it was because it's the police in the 30s. It's what everything got written down, dunk, 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 dunk. You know, whereas yeah. now you get recordings as well as as written transcripts. So. It's, it's quite a fascinating thing, and it's always fun. So we periodically will be continuing with our unsolved, um, our unsolved shows every couple of months, just like the Alien ones. We'll hit the unsolved because, one, they're fun. Two, some of them have a, uh, an intuitive or a psychic element to them that you could perhaps pick up on or read or understand because there is less information. This one's more of an intellectual... You would sort of know as you walk through it who all those players are, what their roles are, where they were, what they were doing, you know, which is fascinating. So Interesting. How come they never went back and investigated the guy who left the country with him? I would have gone back if I was a cop and that, I think I would have been, I don't know, I would have been kind of... Well, I think, but, but at that point it's done, you see. So you haven't got a court case anymore. So once the coroner has gone, you know, like we know it's murder, it's over, it's done. So they go to the coroner first to decide if they've got enough evidence to take it further. And they just didn't have enough evidence. So the fact that she left the country with a boyfriend, and you think about back then too, they wouldn't have even known. They'd just get on a plane and fly out or get on a boat. Because um, you didn't have passports to Australia and New Zealand up until the late last century. Right. Oh well. Yeah, we could just buy tickets like it was flying local to both countries. So it, it was different on that respect. You could buy a ticket. And nobody's gonna, nobody's gonna know. You're not going to a government body to get, you know, stuff for entry so or, it's not or exit. Anyway. Yeah, it's not really recorded in that way. They would have been recorded on ships' records, but you don't need permission to do it. You don't have that kind of system in play. Um, and then of course she, they lost lost contact nobody knows what happened to her after that so because they didn't name the lover my guess is it's just a guess is that they probably got married and therefore she would have had a different surname after oh that. I see yeah so they may have because she left the country under her own name and that's how we know it would be in ships records or flights I, I, back then probably a ship because there would have been ship records I get that bit but they don't know who the lover was because they just in the in the reports just say her lover. So she left with a man. They know there were two of them, but clearly they don't know who that was. Uh, her daughter went with her, but when she gets to Australia, that they actually go on to say, um, "There's the, the the reporter that investigated it says, and then there's just no trace of her. And the only reason that could happen is if she married somebody whose name they didn't have to start with, right?" So, yeah, so it boom. makes it very interesting. I like kind of just, just wants to dig it. Who is it. You just want to keep playing with it, don't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. I feel like I feel. I feel like oh my god. So Michelle's Michelle's setting us up with an interesting case. So we'll go and have a look at that afterwards. We'll see what we do about that. We've got a few that we'll plug through, and of course, what are we doing now from Thursdays onwards for a while? I don't know yet. The tarot. <laughs> We're doing our tarot, but I think I'm going to check back to see if we have all our, uh, because based on my, think we, think we, I have with the oral readings, did we do that? We, well, I've decided that maybe we should just cut that now, because okay. we were only going to do them for a limited time anyway. Okay. A- and then um, I've got more inquiries about the tarot cards and the interest in that. Okay. 
And so we're nearly okay. finished in the uh, psychic co-op, this side of it. We're nearly to, we've only got another five cards to go, right? And then yes. um, what we're going to do is just do the cards alone. 30 minutes, one card each show. Go into... So you're starting that this Thursday? This Thursday, 30-minute shows. And then we're going to give good descriptions. So anybody learning the tarot, anybody that's interested in the tarot, we're going to go through the whole deck um, and the suits, the whole nine yards, and we'll just do 30 minutes per show. We may go through with the suits, because there's 10 of them, we may go through each suit, like each 10, 10 of spades, hearts, or 10 of pentacles, cups, um, staffs, and... <laughs> she, yeah. She's tired, everybody. <laughs> Thanks for coming, everyone. Join us again Thursday night at 10, right? I'm going to keep the same time. Uh, at nine, uh, no, oh, 10 for you, yes, sorry, 9 p.m. Eastern yeah, Standard. Yeah. Just 30 minutes. Yeah. If you're not in, you yeah. miss out, you can go listen to the recording. And Friday is 1 p.m. New Zealand and 11 Australian. To find out more, be part of our conversation or speaker chat. <laughs> and uh, after that, psychic pop on air recordings are available at dorothyholder.com and ridamarshall.com. Do we have anything else? And then Monday's show is going to be about devil's bible the devil's bible Whoa. <laughs> the devil's oh, that, bible that, that sounds scary everybody right Ooh. can't wait to find out and we'll put all the photos for those things in our group so that everybody can have a quick look at them and have a think about it um and then maybe participate in the show or just have a listen take your pick that was a nice nice story thanks so much i enjoyed that thank you bye everybody Good night. <laughs>
Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.